a couple weeks ago, we got an iPad. And as I sat down to breakfast that Sunday morning, uh, I, I sat there and I watched Moira sitting across the table from me, playing with it for the first time. And she called up Siri. And the first thing she did, her, the, the very the first instinctive thing that she asked Siri was, Are you a Christian? Do you believe in Jesus? And all Siri could say, and I'm serious, all Siri could say was, this is a quote, it's all a mystery to me. So Moira pressed further. She said, do you want to go to church with me this morning? To which Siri responded, here are a number of worship locations in your area. But Moira got specific then and said, I'm going to Cross of Life. Do you want to come with me? And Siri said something like, I do not see the point. Real story. That's the way it happened. Um, But it got me thinking. It got me thinking. What if we could convert Siri? What if all of us, like, like Moira, would just keep witnessing the story of Jesus to Siri? Now, I'm, I'm just having fun here. I know Siri's not a real person, okay? But what if we would keep sharing our faith with Siri and Siri became a Christian? Do you know what would happen? Millions of people around the globe would be getting woken up every day by alarms playing Christian music. Um... Constantly, people on their phones or their iPads would be getting scheduling reminders to attend Bible studies that they didn't even know anything about. Um, I think uh, people would be plugging in directions into their phone, right, to go somewhere, and they would get led to churches instead of nightclubs. Bible passage would, would, would Bible passages would constantly be popping up on on uh, iPads and iPhones and and can you imagine um, someone getting all angry, getting all full of road rage in a car and swearing at the, the driver, you know, cutting them off, all of a sudden getting rebuked via Bluetooth. Or, um, or you know, better yet, the person just home alone, kind of, who's just breaking down in tearful desperation, um, their phone could remind them that they no longer need to be afraid. Imagine if Siri were a Christian. That'd be one way to get the message of Jesus out in the world today. A long time ago, though, when it was time to let everyone know that Jesus was now coming, God used a better way. One that didn't involve wireless technology, but one that involved miracles much greater. Um, The appearance of an angel. A priest becoming mute. An old man, an old woman having a baby. And then that baby growing up, living an austere life and becoming the greatest prophet that God ever used. Last week we ended, we came to the end of the Old Testament. God's people had returned from exile. 
And they were now rebuilding their nation. And so the nation of people had been preserved, even if it wasn't quite like it once was. It had been preserved. But not long after that, after the, the Persians were off in the east ruling and, and, and Israel was back, it didn't take long for Alexander and the Greeks to come through, conquer the whole world, and soon the Greeks ruled over them. And uh, later on, that became some pretty difficult going for the children of Israel. In, in a sense, it was almost better when, not quite, but it was almost better than when Rome came then, took over the whole world, and then Rome put Israel under its mighty thumb. And so Israel now found itself pretty much right smack in the middle of the largest empire the world has ever seen. Right in the middle of something we call, historians call, the, the peace of Rome. Which, which, it, which basically meant that uh, no one could go against Rome, so no one fought against Rome, so there was peace. Rome called the shots, everyone paid taxes to Rome. So right in the middle of all that, you have this what is really a tiny nation of Israel, uh, this small remnant of people. And they are now desperately waiting and praying and hoping for the Messiah to come, for the Savior. And now it, it has been that Savior that was promised. And now, since pretty much last week's text, it has now been 400 years since God has spoken to his people. That's the setting for our text. So, I'm going to start with verses 5 to 10. Luke 1, 5 to 10. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren. And they were both well along in years. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. So by this time, they figured that, were, they were, they figured that there were about uh, 20,000 priests serving in Jerusalem. All right? And one of them was this old priest named Zechariah who was married to Elizabeth who was actually a descendant of Aaron. And, and these, they were an old couple. They were, a, they were upright people. They were faithful to God. Um, they were doing all the things God... They were faithful, living a God-fearing life um, and God had not blessed them with any children. And so the time came that, that Zechariah's division, the division of Abijah, there were 24 divisions that were set up back in Leviticus. And when, his, when it, his, it was his divisions out of 20,000 priests uh, turned to serve, he was chosen by lot to be the priest who would get to go into the, into the holy place and burn the incense. So this was, for a priest, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. So imagine the, the emotions running through this old man's mind. I mean, first of all, there was the excitement that, that must have come with this, with this incredible honor that he had probably been preparing for his whole life. But right connected with that was probably also the holy fear of what it meant to go and minister in the presence of the Lord. If, if you go back to the, the second two priests, right after Aaron, Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, 
were put to death by God for performing this very ritual improperly without honoring God. So you can imagine there was some holy fear as well in Zechariah as he approached that altar, probably rehearsing over and over again in his mind exactly what he was going to do and how he was going to do it and probably spending a lot of time in prayer that he was going to get out of there alive. That altar that he went to burn incense at was right in front of the curtain that separated the holy place from the most holy place. We went through that a lot when we talked about the Day of Atonement. In the most holy place, which was right behind that curtain, was the Ark of the Covenant, which is the very, symbolized the very presence of God. So, roughly, here's the altar that he's going to burn incense on, there's the curtain, and right behind that would have been the Ark of the Covenant. And this is as close as Zechariah was ever going to get. So there's some... There's some excitement. There's some holy fear. Now, Zechariah was going to go and burn incense at the altar that day. Um, It obviously would create a lot of smoke when you burn incense like that. And the smoke that it created really symbolized two things. Number one, um, that smoke pictured pictured the prayers of God's people rising up to heaven. And it could also be seen outside because there were vents. And so as the smoke would go up to the ceiling and then vent outside, those people outside would be seeing that incense go up. So reminding them that their prayers were going up to heaven, up to God. The second thing that that smoke symbolized was, or that it did, was kind of it shielded the priest from the presence of God to make sure to keep him from... um, seeing God possibly and dying because sinful man cannot see the holy presence of God. So those are the two things the smoke from that incense did. While Zechariah was inside burning the incense, the rest of the priests and the people were gathered outside in the courtyard of the temple. And what were they doing? They were praying. And they were seeing that incense, the smoke from that incense, rise up into the heavens. What do you suppose they were praying for? They were praying for what all of God's people prayed for. They were praying for the coming of the Messiah. They were praying for the coming of the Savior that had been promised all the way back to the Garden of Eden. That's what they were praying for, the promised Savior. And now it had been 400 years. For 400 years, God had been silent. And on this day, Zechariah, old priest Zechariah, would be the first to hear God speak in 400 years. So this was the dawn of a new day. The dawn of a new testament. 11 to 13. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zacharias saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. So you can add a a few more um, kinds of emotions, or you can add a few more kinds of fears to this old man's emotions now. Uh, Fear of angel of God. And also, I think, fear of Elizabeth and I are going to have a what? Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been answered. Now, what prayer do you suppose had been answered? 
I mean, I think we jumped to the conclusion right away that, it, well, of course, it was prayer to have a child. And I have no doubt that Zachariah and Elizabeth spent many years maybe praying for children. But how many of you 80 or 90-year-olds are right now praying for a child? I think the prayer being answered here was a different prayer. I think the prayer being answered here was the prayer for deliverance of God's people. The prayer for the coming of the Messiah. Zachariah and Elizabeth were faithful people. What would, have been the most, what would have been the most important thing in their hearts? The coming of the Savior. The coming of the Messiah. And that's the prayer God's talking about here. The prayer for the Messiah to come. This was the prayer that God's faithful people prayed. Read the Psalms. Okay? Because that's what you have. All the, we'll read uh, Psalm 14, verse 7 says, Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. You can hear it in the Psalms as you read. The people just wanted the Savior to come. They were waiting. And that was their prayer. That's what Zechariah and Elizabeth were praying for. That's what those people outside in that courtyard were praying for. The Messiah to come. You are to give him the name John. Okay? Well, the name John means the Lord's gracious gift. The Lord has shown grace. So the Lord is definitely going to be involved here, Zechariah. And, and this name was full of meaning because the, not only was the Lord gracious to Zechariah and Elizabeth, which he was in giving them a child, even in their old age, but the Lord was also showing grace to all the people of the world. That's why the angel said, uh, do not be afraid. That's why the angel said that. Um, because his son, Zechariah's son, was going to prepare the way for the Messiah. That's why the angel said, do not be afraid. The Lord is gracious. In fact, call him that. Call him John. Call him the Lord is gracious. Verses 14 to 17, kind of continuing on here. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So the reason that people are going to rejoice is because he is the one who is now going to announce the coming of the Savior. That's why he's going to be more important than all of the other prophets. All right? He's going to take the Nazarite vow. That's the one where couldn't touch wine, couldn't cut hair. All right? So that he's going to take the Nazarite vow and he's going to be set apart for this very special purpose from birth. When he spoke, it was the Holy Spirit speaking through him. And like Elijah, he would turn the hearts of the children to their, of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the disobedient to the righteous. Why? To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. This is what's going to get people ready now, prepared for Jesus to come after all these years. Now, the last words that the Lord spoke 400 years earlier through the prophet Malachi were these. We had read, we had read them earlier. I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. So John the Baptist was that Elijah. 
Now, let me, let me explain the, the fathers and children thing, just so uh, we can understand this. I just thought it would be helpful to put it up here. Okay? He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. Okay? So he will turn the hearts of worldly wisdom, fathers. This is, this is wisdom of the world. Wisdom of the world to children, childlike faith. Writing small, but hopefully you can see that. So he will turn the hearts of fathers to children, meaning hearts that are so caught up with wisdom of the world, reason, I can figure it all out, to childlike faith, to hearts of children who trust in God, who believe in His power instead of their own knowledge and wisdom and abilities. And then he will turn the hearts of children, as Malachi says, to their fathers. Now here's where the angel Gabriel, speaking to Zechariah, helps us out. All right, Because the way Gabriel puts this, this is how Malachi puts it, All right, back in Malachi. Now in Luke, Gabriel puts it like this. He will turn the hearts of the disobedient, and maybe that doesn't uh, take too much to understand how that works out. Disobedient, yep, to... Wisdom of the righteous. So, he will turn the hearts of children to their fathers. So, disobedient. Um, I don't know how to act yet in this world. I don't know how to act yet in this new life. I'm like a child. I'm immature. To fathers, meaning I've grown up. I've become mature. I've become more like Christ. I've grown in my life. And this is how, this is how you make people um, ready for the Lord. This is how you make ready a people prepared for the coming of the Lord. So friends, if we want to be ready for the coming of the Lord, we need to let go of our wisdom of the world to get us anywhere. We need to let go of what, what we think is so important, the things that this world says matters so much. Our own ability to you know, make my way in life, to figure things out, to uh, control things, to, um, you know, to, to get what I need in life. Any, the philosophy of the world, the wisdom of the world. We need to let go of that. Stop trusting in yourself and, and start trusting in God. You, you, you think you're smart. You think you're in control. You think, you think that you got it covered. You don't. You, and you know that. I know that. I've very humbly found that out many more, many more times than I would like to admit. We need to let go of the wisdom of the world. And we need to trust in God. Stop trusting in yourself and start trusting in God. 
Stop thinking that you are in control, that you got it figured out, that you're going to get yourself to where you're going to go and start acting like a child and trusting God. So we need, we need to get rid of this, get that pounded out of us, because that's the way it gets out of us, the wisdom of the world, and finally just put our lives in God's hands. Childlike faith. And then, once that has happened, and now I begin my new life with Jesus, it's not good for me to just stay an infant, is it? Crying, pooping, throwing tantrums. That's not any way to live. I need to grow up in godly wisdom. I need to start living like someone following Jesus is going to live. I need to grow in righteousness. I need to get God's wisdom for my life. So this is our life now as believers. We're going to grow um, in lives of, we call it sanctification. I'm going to become more like Christ. I believe in Him now. I'm very immature. I have these bad habits like you see toddlers and babies have. So if I'm going to make my way in the world, I need to grow. I need to become mature. I need to grow in my wisdom. That's what happens spiritually as we are in the Word and we stop doing things our own immature way, but we grow. We start becoming um, more selfless instead of selfish. We start loving and and serving instead of just caring about my own needs and throwing a tantrum if I don't get it. All right? So if we are going to be ready for His coming, this is how we're going to be prepared. The same thing that John the Baptist was going to do for those people. So it's this. It's repent and believe. Right? Repent of this. And simply believe in Jesus. Then, grow. Grow in lives of loving and serving out of thanks. Becoming children, fathers. So, I don't want to be this kind of father. I want to be this kind of father. I I don't want to be this kind of child. I want to be this kind of child. So, I'm going to repent for this. Trust in God. And then I want to grow in my life of thanking Him by loving and serving. And becoming wise. That's what makes me ready for the Lord. Verses 18 to 23, if we can go on. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel answered, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words which will come true at their proper time meanwhile the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple when he came out he could not speak to them they realized he had seen a vision in the temple for he kept making signs to them but remained unable to speak when his time of service was completed he returned home Zechariah didn't believe the angel's words he doubted them which the angel responded, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. Okay, I am the one that God sends to bring good news of peace and restoration. So Gabriel's description of himself was a rebuke to Zechariah. I, I just gave you the best news you're ever going to get and you didn't believe me. So as a, as a punishment for that, you're not going to be able to speak until the time this promise comes true. But I think that also had the sense of th- this kind of sense to it. Uh, My words didn't convince you. My words didn't change your heart. So until they do, 
you have nothing worth saying. Right? And when they do, when my words change your heart, when you show that you believe this promise of good news, then you'll be able to speak again. In fact, you're going to open your mouth and proclaim good news like crazy. We're going to hear that on the 22nd. All right? But for now, if, if you have nothing to say about this good news that you believe is going to happen, then I'm not going to give you a voice to say anything at all. So this is the best example in, in the Bible, really, of, of God giving one of his children a time out. Right? If you have nothing good to say, don't say anything at all. So, um, let's continue on and see what happens as the promise comes true. Verses 24 and 25. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. God came through on that miracle that he promised. And Elizabeth understood that her pregnancy was, in fact, a gift from God. So rather than going out and telling everyone she was pregnant, she let God make the announcement. So what she do? She went and hid for five months until it was very apparent, until it was beyond doubt that she was, in fact, pregnant. And then she came out and in that way really let God make the announcement of this good news and let God openly remove and take away her disgrace. Now, we may or may not understand that. I, I think you've learned enough about in, people in those times, but in those times, um, Elizabeth would have felt disgrace because as a Jewish wife, uh, it was very important. Her husband would have wanted an heir to the, to the family name, and, and very much she as a mother would have had a longing for a child. So you, you have those things that I think we understand about how their culture was maybe a little bit different than ours. Um, but there was something else. Remember, Elizabeth and Zechariah were faithful. God was just first in their lives. So there was something else that gave her disgrace. And that was the Messiah was not yet here yet. They, they, they felt disgrace communally, as a community, because uh, until the Messiah comes, there's something is missing. So this is huge. Right? I mean, the Lord is saying, good news, I have taken away your disgrace <laughs> in a big way. In a really big way. All right? That and, and then some. Now, maybe some of us are living in disgrace. Maybe some of us are going through uh, hard times. Maybe, maybe some of you seem like your, your prayers aren't being answered. That, that maybe that God is, is silent. I want you to just consider something. This is the, the point we want to take home. I want, to, I want you to consider how God is preparing you. Okay? Zachariah and Elizabeth, were, they were upright people. They were faithful to God. They were doing all the right things. But yet, they were childless. Now, in those days, that people would consider, if you were childless, people considered that God's punishment on your sin. So imagine how hard it would have been for Zechariah, a spiritual leader of God's people, and faithful Elizabeth, descendant of Aaron, to, to be 
to keep on obeying God, to keep faithful, trusting in Him, to, be, to keep doing what they're supposed to be doing, to keep holding on to that, and still the whole way through feel the pain of that disgrace. I mean, when we are doing all that God has asked us to do, but it seems that God isn't answering our prayers the way we would like Him to answer them, it can be hard, can it? But yet, they pressed on faithfully. Zechariah and Elizabeth pressed on faithfully. And now Zechariah gets this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to uh, offer the incense in the temple. And then and there, God breaks his 400-year silence with him. Zechariah didn't know it, but, but God had been planning this from the very beginning. Zechariah and his, and his family were part of God's plan to offer salvation to the world. And what must have seemed like unexplainable silence was in fact God working to prepare Zechariah and Elizabeth for this incredible day. And I want you to notice that the first thing Elizabeth rejoiced in is that God has showed his favor, God has showed his grace to the world. So she knew that even more important than the good news that she was going to now have a son was the good news about the son whom her son was going to tell everyone about. So when God seems to remain silent, when your prayers seem to go unanswered, it isn't because God is sleeping on the job. Okay. I want you to consider how God is preparing you for his answer. I want you to consider how God is preparing you for good news. Before God works on your problems, he wants to work on you. Think about it, Noah. Noah worked on building that ark for nearly 100 years before it ever started raining. Abraham waited 25 years from the first time God promised him a son until the time that Isaac was finally born. Moses herded sheep in the wilderness for 40 years. That's a career. 40 years before God ever spoke to him in the burning bush. And God's people waited a few thousand years for Jesus to come after the first time that he had been promised. In all these things, did God forget what he was doing? Did God get distracted? Of course not. What was he doing? He was preparing these people. He, he was working on these people to prepare them for this amazing thing that he had planned for them. He was working on each person, preparing them for what he had planned. And right now, right now, God is working on you. You, right now, we're in the middle of the fact that God is working on you for this thing that God has prepared for you. His promise came true. Jesus came. He came and he, and he lived and he died and he rose again to take our sins away, to save us. He did that. That was good news that God's people anticipated for centuries. So that forgiveness in Jesus is good news that you and I can anticipate right now. Standing, in, standing right in front of God, seeing Him look at you and smile, 
and, and look at you and see you as his perfect child is some very good news that we can anticipate right now. Because that's exactly what's going to happen. And so right now, what God is doing is preparing you to believe that. To trust that. To rejoice in it. And to do all that you can to tell the whole world about it. Amen.